One day I decided to drive my car at 85 miles an hour, 140 kilometers an hour towards the telephone pole. And that day I started to do it over and over again because I was so scared. So I premeditated trying to drive my car into this telephone pole multiple different times. I used to visualize in my mind doing that. And in my final attempt to commit suicide, I got- Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Howdy, folks. It is RJ Singh. Thank you for joining us with another world-class guest on this week's Ultra Habits. We're joined with Darren Jacklin. He is a world-class speaker, corporate trainer, philanthropist, and investor. And for over 23 years, Darren has traveled over four continents, trained over 1 million people in over 48 countries. He's mentored entrepreneurs and business owners on specific and measurable strategies. Now, Darren himself has an uncanny ability to increase wealth. What he does is he identifies great companies, with great services and products, great people, and he invests in those companies. Now, his talent has captured the attention of Tiger 21, the Wall Street Journal, Yahoo Finance, NBC, CBS, and a host of other mediums and forums where he has shared his business journey. Now, if you met Darren, you would think he's one of the most confident individuals that you have ever spoken to. His enthusiasm is off the charts. He's super generous and an all-around gentleman. Now, Things weren't always like this for Darren. Now, he grew up in a small Canadian community called Saskatchewan. And at a very young age, his four-year-old sister died from heart complications due to open heart surgery. This obviously impacted the family. To compound difficulty for Darren, he had difficulty reading and writing, and he was diagnosed with ADHD, and they pumped him full of pills like Ritalin. He failed to actually complete grade one and they deemed him as retarded and they stuck him in special education classes for the rest of his educational years. Now, Darren was very resourceful. At the age of seven, he started a business called Rent-A-Kid where he would shovel sidewalks, mow lawns, do effectively whatever neighbors needed and were willing to pay for. Darren left school, had a host of failures And in his early 20s, he even tried to commit suicide. Not the first time. He had multiple suicide attempts, and he was really at a low place in his life. Now, Darren was lucky enough to meet a psychologist who encouraged him to register for a Dale Carnegie training course. And this is where things really started to shift for him. While he was in the program, he was invited to Toastmasters. And that was it. So this is what we're here to discuss and unpack today. How did this man move from where he came from in the condition, in the state that he was in, to the man that we all have come to know today? So I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Darren. Thank you for joining us on another week of Ultra Habits. And again, if you haven't, please go to www.ultrahabits.co, sign up for all the cool stuff that doing all the information will be there in regards to where we're going with the show all the best have a great week guys peace out darren thanks for joining us 
this morning here in Australia on the Ultra Habits show, we have finally connected. There was a lot of emails, a lot of communication, a lot of time zone challenges as we <laughs> can all appreciate, but really, really grateful and thankful that you've joined us here. I'm grateful to be here and make a difference and be in service. And I'm grateful that we got a chance to make this happen with our busy lives and travel schedules and global calendars. We made it workable here in this uh, digital world today. So I'm grateful to be in service. Yeah, for sure. And you know, what's really caught my attention uh, over the last month or so is some of the stuff you put out on LinkedIn, like these parables, mm -hmm. you know, I love your posts where it's kind of like the, the, the wise sage approach and you've got these comparative stories that really uh, they get you to think and i really mm -hmm. appreciate those posts so we're we're going to talk about purpose perseverance payoff i know that you've recently released your book but before we jump into that for our audience out there that don't know who darren jacklin is who are you man how did you come up and and what do you do sure you know, I have a very interesting uh, backstory that I can unfold here, just kind of give you some high-level highlights of it. So, you know, I grew up in a middle-income family here in Canada, uh, failed grade one of public school, and then was misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability, and it was determined by the people in the school system that I was retarded, and I had uh, special education skills. And so I was put into a small classroom and a special education student, so I never went to school with, like, the regular normal kids. And so from grade one to grade 12 of public education, uh, that's what I did. I spent my whole entire life in special education classes with a lot of labels like you're stupid, you're retarded, you're never going to amount to much, you're never going to go far, never do much in your life. And when I became seven years of age, I created my first little business venture called Rent-A-Kid. And I would go around my neighborhood and look at solving problems and who's got my money. And, and it was never about the money. But I just wanted I, wanted, I wanted to do something. I had a lot of energy as a kid. So I'd go out and knock on doors. And I'd solve problems by cutting the grass, shoveling snow in the wintertime, raking leaves, painting fences, doing odd jobs, uh, mowing the lawns. And by the time I was nine years of age, I hired my two best friends in my neighborhood, which, you know, 40 years later, we're still great friends. Uh, you know, it's been an incredible journey with that. And so when I got into junior high and high school, I really struggled you know, with low self-esteem, no direction, no focus, but I had this entrepreneurial mindset. And what I realized is that I just love being out there, making a difference, being in service to people. And so later on in life, like I'm 49 years of age today, I, I realized that at a young age, I learned some very valuable life skills. One of the life skills I learned at a very young age with my backstory was that as human beings, if we're up in the International Space Station looking down on planet Earth, and we were to map out all the human beings on the planet, all we are is a network of conversations. And what I discovered at a young age, as a young kid growing up, anything that we really, really, really want in our lives is going to come from having conversations with strangers. Strangers are everything we want, everything we need, everything we desire in our lives. But we're taught in our environments growing up, sometimes from friends and family or our parents or our grandparents or our school system, don't talk to strangers. But at a young age, I was all over my community talking to strangers all the time because that's where the opportunity zones were. So when I got into junior high and high school, I realized, hey, if I really want something, I've got to get really good at building rapport to strangers so they get to know me, like me, and trust me. Because if they get to know me, like me, and trust me, then they'll do business with me. Then they'll hire me. Then an exchange of uh, opportunities will create get created. So when I got to grade 11 of public school, one day I was taken out of class by a guidance counselor one day. and 
the school teacher and they brought me down to the uh, guidance counselor's office and they said, Darren, if you graduate from grade 12, if you graduate, what do you plan to do outside of school? You're never going to go to college, never go to university. Uh, you might get a job, you might become employable, but what do you plan to do? And I said, I want to build a portfolio of companies. I want to travel around the world and make a big difference. And I remember like it was yesterday, RJ, they both looked at each other in the guidance counselor's office and they looked at me like, okay, we need to calm this guy down because he's dreaming too big here. And they, they just squashed my dreams. Like, Darren, listen, we, we know you have big aspirations. You've got a lot of energy. You want to do a lot of great things, but that's not in your foreseeable future. You're probably not going to make it to your 20th birthday. Um, you might get a job, you know, working in the oil and gas industry or construction or some physical labor job, but you're not going to amount to much. Your grade point average, your academia marks do not display based on your report card. You're ever going to go far. You're not going to go to college university. And that really affected me that day I walked out of that guidance counselor's office. You know, I was, I was very depressed. I was very low. and I went into a dark hole. So I did graduate from grade 12, just barely passed by. And then I did multiple suicide attempts to end my life. Because I had no direction, I had no focus, I had no purpose. I had a lot of negative self-talk. I had a lot of you know, confidence issues and self-worth issues. Uh, I never did any drugs or alcohol. I was never thinking. To this day, I'm 49 years of age, never experimented or sampled with any type of narcotic or illegal drug ever. Just never, to me, it's just something not for me. And what I realized was when I was down and out, um, you know, struggling you know, financially at times, lack of focus, lack of direction, that uh, I had a lady one time took me to a Jim Rowan seminar. And Jim Rowan was a mentor to Tony Robbins. You know, he passed away on December 5th, 2009. But what happened was after meeting Jim Rowan and going to the seminar uh, and then doing multiple suicide attempts, one day I decided to drive my car at 85 miles an hour, 140 kilometers an hour towards the telephone pole. And that day I started to do it over and over again because I was so scared. So I premeditated trying to drive my car to this telephone pole multiple different times. I used to visualize in my mind doing that. And in my final attempt to commit suicide, I got scared and I said, I can't do this. So I drove to a nonprofit organization that was a 24-hour telephone crisis line for people you know, wanting to commit suicide. And I went and rang the doorbell of this nonprofit organization. I said, I'm trying to commit suicide. They brought me to the secure area and they started to counsel me. And then after several sessions with this psychologist, they referred me back in the 1990s to a Dale Carnegie training program. I had no idea who Dale Carnegie was. I didn't realize he wrote a best-selling book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, RJ. So I went to this course, and I was so moved by the men and women in this environment. It was so different for me. You know, they were enthusiastic. They were collaborative. They were supportive. They were high-fiving. They were encouraging each other. There was a lot of energy there. And I thought, wow, this is so different than the school system I grew up in. These people care about each other. People want to see grow and develop and succeed. So I signed up for a Dale Carnegie training program, a 12-week program. And from there, I got a chance to meet a few more people. And one of the ladies said, man, you're doing so well in this Dale Carnegie training. You should come join me in Toastmasters. So I went as a guest one time to a Toastmasters meeting. I was so scared, way out of my comfort zone. I walked in, just terrified, right? A lot of negative self-talk, mind chatter. And when they asked the guests to stand up and introduce themselves at this Toastmasters meeting, I had a name tag on. I stood up to introduce myself, wouldn't make eye contact, looked at the floor, and I was so nervous. My legs were shaking underneath the table. I forgot my name. I completely lost my name. I was so scared. And when I introduced myself, I'd look down and see what my name was on my name tag. 
And one of the gentlemen who was a member, he said, this is why you need Toastmasters. We're going to break through that fear of public speaking and being good enough and building your confidence. And so I ended up joining Toastmasters. And what I discovered over a short period of time joining the organization was there was people in that organization who were strangers. And I realized that strangers care. People believe more in me than I believed in myself. And I accelerated over an 11-year period in that organization. And then I went off to build a corporate training business. I used to make 400 cold calls a day, 2,000 cold calls a week, smiling and dialing to build my corporate training business from 1995 to 2000, made over 100,000 cold calls. Most of them were rejection and no calls. And I traveled the world from 1995 to 2015. I set foot in 50 countries, trained about people. And to this day, I've now trained over 1 million people in 50 countries on four continents. So hey, that, Terry, uh, I want to unpack. Oh, I just want to ask you uh, if we can we can go sure. back to your youth in terms of the labeling that occurred and the uh, the way that you were treated in school. How did how did that did how did how did that propel you <clears throat> or inhibit you? At the time, now we know that it obviously resulted in in depression and negativity sure. in the future. Yeah. But you were still able to get out there and do the entrepreneurial thing when you were quite young. Mm-hmm. How did that whole structure um, and context that they created and kind of boxed you in? How did that impact you in the short term? How did your parents view that situation? And now looking back. Um, like, do you feel any sense of resentment for the school system for education? I guess I just want to unpack that yeah, whole, sure. how that, you know, you experienced that and how that yeah. impacted you Great positively questions. and negatively, like yeah. maybe made you like, I'm going to do this shit. You know, like you can't put me in a box. <laughs> I'm going to make it happen. Just, just really want to focus on yeah. that. Great question. You know, I think out of pain and pleasure, uh, I got tremendous pain being in school and pleasure being out in my community, serving and making a difference in people's lives. And so when I was in school, I used to look out the window, I'd be daydreaming. I used to get in trouble for that. I'm thinking, what's wrong with being a visionary? What's wrong with thinking of possibilities and opportunities? And so, you know, school was really hard for me. You know, I, I associated with anybody who was in the school in terms of making friends. It was very transactional, though, as I look back now. But I was, you know, I was always made fun of. I was, I was told I'd never mount too much, never go far, never good enough. And so I'm like, there's nothing wrong with me. Like there's not this little boy, there's nothing wrong with me. Now my parents, you know, grew up in very small towns in rural Saskatchewan, Canada. And my mom grew up in a, in a community of less than a hundred people in population, a farming community. And my dad grew up not too far away from my mother with just a few hundred people in the community of a farming community. So between my mother and my father, they grew up in a, two communities of less than 500 people in population. So, you know, we never grew up in a major city with, hundreds of thousands or millions of people. So there wasn't many options. And so when I grew up in like Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada, where I went to school, it was less than 20,000 people in population. So not a lot of choices for a lot of schools. And so, you know, my parents were very young and they just sent me to school. They're doing the best they can as parents to provide and protect and take care of us as children. And so they just conformed to the public school system. These are professionals. These are experts. They're qualified professional people that have went to school to get their degrees. And they listened to them. And when I was put on a drug called Ritalin and, it, you know, medication, it numbed me out as a kid. And I started selling it at school um, <laughs> because my kids wanted to experiment with the, with the, what it felt like as I would tell them how I feel. Um, but, you know, it was interesting. Like looking back now, I'm grateful with gratitude. 
like counting my blessings because our voids in life fill our values. And I don't think I'd become the person I am today, you know, with my heart and my vulnerability, my compassion, authenticity, but also, you know, I failed my way to success today, you know, through a lot of adversities and failures. But I also know too, from a lot of life experiences and thousands and thousands of hours, you know, what to do and what not to do during the waking hours of our day in terms of our daily habits and daily routines to achieve the ultimate levels of lifestyle that we want to create for our lives. Because I've made a lot of mistakes and I know what to do and what not to do. And so I think that, you know, out in my community, I've, I got a lot of pleasure and in the school system, I got a lot of pain. And today, you know, Tatiana and I, my love of my life, we've created our own family foundation where over the next 10 years, we've committed $100 million towards global philanthropy projects. And we built our first school we're in Liberia, West Africa, where we today we have you know, 267 children from kindergarten to grade seven going to school, right? Actually, grade six, I should say, great, going to school now uh, in this rural area in Liberia, which is one of the poorest countries on the planet. So I think I, for my life now, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Um, you know, and people really relate to me from all walks of humanity because I've had a lot of adversities and failures and challenges and setbacks. And I've been financially broke and I've been upside down and I've wanted to give up and I've wanted to quit. And I also know what it's like to go through perseverance on the other side of that. And so, you know, and I'm self, I'm self-taught, you know, I mean, to where I am today. Like I didn't graduate with an MBA or a PhD or, you know, any college university degrees. I didn't grow up in a wealthy family or live in a rich neighborhood or have parents of high status in a community that I could leverage. None of that stuff. I had to go through a lot of rejection, a lot of adverse, a lot of failures and a lot of no's to get. So I've had more no's in my life than I have had yeses. And so people look today and they do their due diligence like, oh my gosh, you've had so much success and what you've accomplished, but yet I've had so many more no's than, than, than that. Do, do you think in terms of, because you've got, you've got the grit, there's no doubt about yeah. that. And uh, this whole piece on perseverance, do you think your perseverance drove your purpose or the other way around? You know, I think it was being, um, in school, I was always told what to do. And I was always being told what to do. I was always micromanaged as a kid, being in special education. And I think I wanted freedom in my life to, to live life in my own terms and not being told what to do. And then when I became an employee, I realized I was a terrible employee because I'm, I'm giving my supervisor or my manager, the owner of the company feedback on how they could do better, how they could generate more cash flow, underutilized assets, ancillary services. So I saw these opportunity zones. And so I did not make good employees because I didn't conform. I even went and got a union job one time and that lasted for a short period of time because I realized that, you know, my work ethic was so high. I'm, I'm very, very high work ethic. I'm very accountable, very disciplined, very focused, and very integral. Now, years ago, I was not an integrity person. I was completely out of integrity in my life. I had no integrity. Um, my words did not la match my feet. You know what I mean? And so I always say to people, you know, talk is cheap. I don't listen to people say, I watch what they do because behavior never lies. And I think that through my trials and errors and adversities, I learned a lot of street smarts, which helps me today in boardrooms and you know buying businesses and doing mergers and acquisitions and buying a lot of real estate investments with that. I'm able to read through things now in a very street smart way because I trust my gut. I trust my inner circle team around me of you know men and women and the women's intuition around me. Whereas I think if I didn't go that path, I wouldn't have that street smarts that I have today and the hustle and the grind that I have today. You know, because I just love to make a difference. And I, and I, when I see people that are, are, are struggling, like, you know, I realize that in life, we don't have money problems in life. There's no such thing as money problems. There's an overflowing financial abundance 
I have a lot of my friends of mine have financial problems. They have so much money coming in through multiple revenues, they don't know what to do with it, how to allocate it and deploy it. So there's people who've got lots of money and not money. And so the key thing is we don't have money problems like we only have thinking problems. But we're taught in the academic world and the school system that you got to trade time for money, linear thinking, which is high risk today. And we saw that during COVID-19, during the lockdown, that if all your eggs are in one basket and you're relying on that employer to take care of you, you might get furloughed or laid off. And so that really got exposed during you know, 20, 2020, 2021, when people are home, not realizing that, hey, you've got to create multiple streams of income. And then growing up, realizing that rich people don't work for money, they work to acquire stable monthly recurring income producing assets. It was a whole different world for me, realizing they, 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 they buy income producing assets, and then they build out a portfolio of income producing assets, and then they get money to work for them. And that was different. When I met a guy years ago, and he said, listen, I make more money while I'm sleeping then while I'm awake. And I said, well, how do you do that? And he says, consistently. I'm like, I want that in my life. I want that. I want that freedom. I want to be able to go to bed when I'm tired and wake up when I'm done sleeping. I want those opportunities and those choices. So I'm grateful that a lot of different mentors and role models and people have come throughout my life on this journey that I've learned best practices from. And I've been a serious student to life through personal, personal growth and development. And so not having the academics, like Tatiana, the love of my life, she's got three academic degrees in the top universities in Canada. She's also bilingual in French and English. And, you know, we've been together for a number of years now. And she said, Darren, being around you is like an MBA and a PhD because I'm a very practical person. I measure things with key performance indicators, KPIs, but I also have targets. You know, like I have an Apple watch that I wear. And every day I play a game with myself, you know, with metrics in regards to my health and fitness. And, and, and so when we focus on certain targets, like, you know, if, if you and I went around Australia or the United States of America or Canada or pick any country on the planet, we walked around, just pick 100 people at random. And we did a survey and we asked them, what is it you really, really, really want in your life? You know, 95% of the people cannot show their personal promises. These are my personal promises. This is what I've dedicated my life to. Every year, I write down what are my top 10 personal promises I'm committed to achieving this year. And then every morning, every night, my journal is a non-negotiable daily habit. I handwrite out my personal promises to myself every day as a non-negotiable habit. But the key thing is what success leaves clues and men and women today, if you want to model successful people, whatever it is, it's sports, it's business, it's politics, it's religion, it's finance, it's health and fitness, it's daily habits and daily routines. Motivation will only last like a warm bath. You sit in the water and all of a sudden it cools off. But daily habits and disciplines will get you through the peaks and valleys of your life. Because, because the key thing is you've got to commit to your commitments. And that's what I have a lot of rigor around is that in my life is I commit to my daily habits and my daily routines. And also, too, is if, if people don't have a calendar, if whatever you really, really, really want in your life, if you don't schedule it and structure it into your calendar, it does not exist in your life. When I travel all over the world and I meet people all the time and they say, well, Darren, I want to, I want to achieve more financial success. Great. Show me your calendar. Because in the next seven days, if you don't have revenue generating activities or income producing activities or wealth generating events, or you're reading books or listening to podcasts or studying people or doing these activities or these action steps towards those, it's not going to happen. Because it's how you spend and qualify your time. Yeah, there's a lot in that, Darren. Yeah. Um, there's a lot <laughs> in that. So, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to shift the conversation sure. um, back to when you got into corporate development, corporate training. So actually, okay, so what does that mean? What did you start doing? 
Yeah, so great question. So what I did is I first of all started back in the 1990s going into corporations and showing their salespeople on how to make more sales. And what I did is, is I learned from my own experience by getting a lot of rejection that whatever you lack in skill, you make it up in numbers. Whatever you lack in skill, you make it up in numbers. So I had very low self-confidence. I, I was terrible as a salesperson. So what I did is, like, for example, this came with girls. When I was young, I was very insecure about meeting girls. And so what I did is I used to take 10 Canadian pennies and I used to put it in my left pocket. And every day my goal was to go talk to 10 girls. Just good morning, good afternoon, good, after, good evening, hello, how are you? And every time I talked to a girl, I would secretly take the penny from my left pocket, put it in my right pocket. And the target was each day to transfer 10 pennies to the left pocket to the right pocket. So I would go in as a corporate trainer, I would train people on how to grow and expand and then how to look at how to create revenue streams. Because, um, and then also how to mitigate risks uh, in terms of you know, exposure to that. Because a lot of companies, as they grow and develop, they have more visibility and more exposure. So as a corporate I would go in and I would train people on how to become a first-time manager, supervisor, team leader, or how to grow and scale the company. Because whenever you talk about cash flow to a company, which is the lifeblood of a company, you get their attention. Because when I'm going in there and selling my corporate training services, they got to see a return on investment three, four, five, six X return multiple on the return on investment because they're, they're taking people out of the field and putting them into a seminar with me for a day or two days. And those people are not being productive while they're in their seminar. So it's costing them time and costing them money and energy. So this is what I was started doing. And so that's how I got started. And then I would train companies on how to transform obstacles into opportunities. So when an employee or a supervisor or decision maker in a company would make a mistake uh, or a crisis, how do you monetize that and turn it into cash flow? How did you learn these skills, right? So like yeah, you had question. gone from, I mean, you had gone from basically going to seminars yourself and now you're a corporate trainer. What was the leap from being yeah. a effectively someone learning the craft to then teaching the craft? So when I was young with my rent-a-kid business, I grew up in a middle-income neighborhood. Uh, but what I always realized is who's got my money? And what I would do is when I was cutting grass or I was doing different odd jobs, I always went to people who had disposable income, didn't live paycheck to paycheck. They had bigger houses, bigger yards that I knew that I didn't have to get into that cycle where they're getting paid. Because I, I was not, when, after you knock on a lot of doors and get a lot of rejection, you start to notice patterns and cycles and trends. And I noticed these neighbors, I'd be knocking on the doors, everybody's saying no, but yeah, I come back different time of the week or time of the month. And they're like saying, yes, why is that? It's right around payday. And so what I realized when I got around you know, the dentists, the lawyers, the doctors, the business owners, the entrepreneurs, the, you know, the people who ran the city. I got into those neighborhoods back in the 1990s, early 2000s, things changed. Also, I realized when people earned higher income, they made decisions faster. In fact, when I got to their doorstep or to their office and I talked to them because time was money to them, they made decisions very quickly because they want someone to solve their problem. Listen, I need you to paint my fence. Just go do it. How much does it cost? Here's the price. Okay, great. Just get it done. But whereas people that were living paycheck to pay, well, let me think about it. Let me talk to my spouse. Come back in a couple of days. And, and so I started to notice this after me, talking to many, many people. And so I collected a lot of information at a very young age, but I got a chance to get around people, you know, a city of 20,000 people. I got a chance. I got exposed to a lot of really influential people at a very young age. And I got a chance to build rapport and successfully these clues. And so I started to get around these people. I started to study a lot of books. And then I started to voluntarily through Toastmasters speak at Rotary Clubs, Women in Business, Chamber of Commerce, uh, YPO groups, 
all these different groups and I got access to all these people and I realized that proximity is power. So when I got access to all these decision makers and I got to go for breakfasts and lunches and dinners with them and got a chance to get around their inner circles, I started to discover a whole new world. And I realized it's not what you know, it's who you know and it's who they know that knows you because proximity is power. And so I started to collect a lot of information. And so when I would do corporate training, I would even sometimes bring in guest speakers, some of these influential people, but I would ask them, so like a lot of my mentors are people you would never know. Um, when it comes to, you know, like when, with Link Foundation, our foundation right now, we're getting $100 million towards global philanthropy. So we're actually working on a 250 year legacy plan right now, three generations. And so I have families right now throughout the world. I was just with a family in Dubai a few weeks ago that has a, you know, a 600 year plan for their business. I was with a family in the United States of America here, which I'll actually be with next month. They have a thousand year plan that's documented and detailed out as a master plan. So this is the paper copy. This is a, a master plan for my life, right? It's a pretty thick book and I have a digital copy as well. This is a hundred year plan of my life. But uh, so I started getting around different families. One of the families I'm with next week, I'll be in the United States of America next week. I'm having dinner with a family in Las Vegas. You know, their family trusts go back 15 generations to back to 1485. Uh -huh. And so I get around these people, I'm thinking 15 generations of journals and diaries that they've gone through. How do they solve for things through their family office over 15 generations? They've been through wars, natural disasters, mm. world events, all kinds of things over 15 generations. So I get a chance to have a seat at the table. So a lot of my, my information, things I share is very practical, very results-based training, but it doesn't come from the colleges, universities, or academia world. It comes from people who are very quiet, out there in the world, making big things happen, making big moves. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick break to thank you for your continued support of the Ultra Habits Show. It's through your support that we've been able to scale this thing so quickly and so strong over the past year. And we're truly grateful for your continued support. If you haven't already, please go to www.ultrahabits.co and subscribe. You'll get cool information, insights, and be up to date with everything we're doing. And also, if you haven't, please rate this podcast the link is in the show notes. When you do this, you help us scale our message of ultra performance, ultimately helping us create more impact with our tribe. Anyways, we're going to leave you back in the hands of our wonderful guest. Your ability to network and source information, your resource, yes. resourcefulness is extraordinary. And I have no doubt that's because uh your ability and in terms of to see well there you go yeah your ability to connect your ability to uh see the connections between people and your network is, is quite extraordinary and i think I, I you know a lot of that i wonder uh, how much of that is connected to how you came up mm -hmm. in schools and you know, having to leverage uh, non-traditional ways and see the connections in ways that most kids probably didn't. Um, and maybe because to a certain degree, your survival Absolutely. dependent on that, your, your yeah. survival in terms of your well-being. Um, and so you're a student of people, yeah. student of human nature, student of, uh, of, uh, of environments is, is I see it. So that's quite extraordinary. So 
you're you've got these group of companies what mm-hmm. are some of the companies but like are they all kind of connected or are they diversified yeah Run so through actually what uh yeah so we've got a real do. estate company so we've got single family homes that we invest in a portfolio of that across north america another company we invest into medical office buildings uh with that another company we're doing acquisitions right now in terms of accounting across north america we're actually acquiring accounting firms and we're solving a big problem between now and 2030 in the United States of America, over 100,000 CPAs, chartered professional accountants, firms are going to retire as baby boomers. So we're acquiring all these accounting firms. Number one, we're acquiring the data and we're acquiring the cash flow. Because I learned years ago, it's easier to acquire revenue than to create revenue. A lot of people want to go out and create startup companies, which are high risk. You got to go out and borrow money from friends and family. And there's statistically a high risk of failure in startup companies. So what if you could go out and find companies that are I call it boring companies. So in my portfolio group of companies, you know, I'm invested in cybersecurity, uh, accounting firms, uh, car washes, a lot of different real estate holdings, um, everything that produces cash flow, monthly recurring revenue, MRR. And so that's what we in, in the portfolio of the group of companies. And so I, I'm the visionary. I used to work in the trenches and I realized that I'm not that guy. And so now I stay in my lane because I've made a lot of mistakes and challenges. And a lot of stressful moments in my 20s and 30s. And you know what I mean? And so in, in my 40s now, I realized that, you know what, most of my goals don't require my actions. And that's something that people want to write down and really digest. Most of your goals and dreams do not require your actions. It requires creating teams and teamwork. So what I realized, I'm the visionary. I hire people who are the integrators, who run the daily operations very well. Then they report up to me in daily and weekly reports. And then I look at the reports and then I know how to guide and direct and mentor and coach people. And so I, I just surround myself with really smart people, um, you know, who, who, who hold me accountable and responsible to playing a really big game in the world. And so when people want to grow and scale, like, so with the accounting firm, I'm a partner in a, an accounting firm company called Profitopia, Profitopia.com. And I'm a partner in that and I'm an active partner. And so my partner is a 35 year experienced, good standing member of, is a CPA. Uh, so he runs all the daily operations with the accountants and the bookkeepers and the tax planners. And so I'm able to see opportunities. Like, so for example, with the accounting industry, they make two to three revenue streams. They have bookkeeping, accounting, and tax planning or tax preparation, three revenue streams. But what I see is I see ancillary services. Because once you've got all the data from all these people's tax returns and you've got permission to review and analyze their data with their permission, written documentation on that, then you can look at all the underutilized assets called ancillary services. So we can take that accounting firm that we acquire from three revenue streams to 10 to 12 revenue streams in about 12 months and increase top line revenue. And then we build up a portfolio of companies, build into one big conglomerate, and then we exit for about three years, go through a wealth generated event, take all that capital, put it into stable income producing assets, and then go off in another vertical and build and grow that as well. And so I, that's just my street smarts, how I see things. And then for me knocking on a lot of doors and making a lot of phone calls over the years and trained to help over a million people, I built a global network of a lot of people because all we are is a network of conversations. And so I'm able to build teams and put the right people together based on their personality style and their skill set and their history and their experience and you know things about them. And we and, and there's ways to test that. Like a lot of times I'll go to a charity event or a dinner party and and I'll bring people out, you know, selectively at a dinner party. And I'll, or, or I'll play a board game like the cash flow board game like Robert Kiyosaki and Kim Kimber Talk Trader with Rich Dad Ford in that book. I'll play game nights 
or, or charity events, and I'll bring people out to see how they connect with each other. Do they have conversations? Is there collaboration? Is there chemistry? Is there collective intelligence there? And if there isn't, then we know they're not a match. And that's how you blend teams. And then Tatiana, my love of my life, she was a high school teacher for 35 years. Her passion is running teams, being the integrator in day-to-day operations. So I just know my lane. I stay in my lane. I know my strength. I know my high leverage activities. And I protect and qualify my time in those areas. And I delegate everything else I'm not good at. But that comes from every week setting an agenda of what's my week ahead plan. Mm-hmm. And then looking throughout the, the, each day, you know, what am I doing that's, am I moving towards my targets or away from my targets? So I spend, you know, 95% of my time each day is focused on what are my monthly, quarterly, and yearly targets. So I can mm-hmm. achieve those and I delegate everything else to other people around me, whether they're staff or they're virtual staff or automate or systemize it. And that's what I do. And we just keep growing and expanding because my ultimate goal is to give $100 million away to global philanthropy over the next decade. That's the ultimate goal. And then to eventually have the foundation, Link Foundation, go out of business because then we've solved some of the biggest humanitarian planetary problems on the, on the planet. I don't want the foundation to keep going on and on. I want it to go bust because then, then we've made a difference and we've got practical, measurable results. So what I'm hearing is that it's all about scalability, yeah. management of energy. And I think that you know, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about the the real competitive advantage is the ability to see the connections and leverage those connections. And I think that is what you're saying and you do it well. And what I'm also hearing is you know when to get out of the way yeah. and let the people that execute, execute. Because we can become our own hindrance sometimes when we're trying to do too many things. and. Is someone that moves at a at a very fast gear, how do you slow down enough to like how do you oscillate your energy to ensure yeah. that you know when to move super fast and you're intuitive, but you also know what requires diligence, a lot of thinking? Because you and I are actually very similar in that way. And I think I'm always moving through these hyperspeed versus I'm slowing down when required, but understanding when to ship those gears is not always clear. How do you manage that piece? Yeah, great question. So two things is daily habits. One is I do 60 minutes minimum every day of physical activity, of exercise. And so I live here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. So when I'm not traveling, all behind my house, there's hundreds of hiking trails. So rain or shine, no matter what the weather is, I'm out there hiking all the time. I'm also in an active hiking group that we have a WhatsApp channel and we have it scheduled into our calendar. So there's accountability and follow through on that. Uh, so I do that. I also schedule to my calendar and I time block it under the time of thinking time. So I just, I just think what I'm thinking about. And see, most people never think what they're thinking about. And so you just think what you're thinking about and you just focus on that. It's a meditative process for me. And so I, and then also I do well being or wellness days where I'll go to a spa or I'll go out on a full day hike, eight, nine, 10, 12 hour hike with a bunch of other people. And I just get out there in nature. But I spend a lot of time in nature. But every day you will see me doing physical exercise. I, um, you know, during COVID, I was 35 pounds overweight being home, not traveling on the roads. And I was a clumsy kid growing up as a kid. I was never athletic growing up. I was always the last kid picked on any sports team or any physical education. 
But what happened was on January 28th of 2021, I realized, my gosh, I'm out of integrity. I am not taking care of this body, this, this beautiful body. I'm treating it like a woodshed. I'm disowning this. I'm, I'm completely out of integrity with it. So I confronted myself. I had an uncomfortable conversation in the mirror. I was brushing my teeth and shaving. I confronted myself and said, you are out of integrity. How dare you treat this human body this way? You've been given a gift every day to have this beautiful body, this beautiful meat suit. Why would you disown it like this? And so I said to Tetian, I said, by the end of today, before I go to bed, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to create a strategy with some targets on how to release the weight, not lose weight, because you don't want to lose weight, because then you go find it again. You want to release it so it's gone for good. So I made a few telephone calls. And I said, listen, let's, let's set up a, a hiking group. I'll probably be the slowest person in the hiking group to get started, but I'm committed to my commitments. Rain or shine, no matter what the weather is, I'm going to be there. So we started with one day a week, every Sunday morning. If, we're, if I was in Vancouver, I'm going on a hike every Sunday morning. And so three of us got together. We created a WhatsApp channel. Now we have 90 plus members in the group. Not are all active. Some are interactive and some come casually and some are more committed than others. And, and now in the last 10 months, I've, done, I've climbed some of the biggest mountains in British Columbia, Canada, which I never thought I'd ever do. But it's a metaphor of how big can I go because it's mindset. It's all mental and preparation. And so I spent a lot of time doing that. But I, I'm in nature a lot. I drink a lot of water. I drink about a gallon of water a day. And I also... Um, when I look at opportunities or business opportunities, it's not always about return on investment. It's about ROE, return on energy. You know, I turned down a very lucrative business opportunity just recently that the people were surprised when we did the Zoom video call that I said, I, I'm, I'm going to step out of this opportunity. And like, you're walking away from a lot of money and a lot of cash flow. And I'm like, it's not about the money to me. It's about the return on energy. And you guys are, you know, no disrespect, you're very transactional, but you're not relational. And I'm all about building relationships with people because we're in the people business. And to me, it's just about numbers. And I, that's not what I'm about. I'm about human beings, connecting with human beings, creating a ripple of impact. And so when I said no, I, I walked away from the opportunity and they just couldn't believe it because there was, you know, it was a lucrative industry opportunity. But to me, it was about the return on energy. And so you got to protect and qualify your time, but also look at who you spend your time with. And is, are you getting that return on energy? So there's certain things that I don't participate, don't get involved with because it zaps your energy and it takes away from you. And that's so important is to protect and qualify your time, but also protect and qualify your energy. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, man. Like for me, energy and energy management, I talk yeah. about it a lot on the podcast and uh, as well on social media is critical. And I think for high energy people that could end up feeding many different forums, our energy, we need to be very, very critical of how we use that energy. I think in our careers, especially earlier on, we trade time for money. And we I do. think you did that. You yes. did that, right? Like you did that with the corporate training. But at some point, you need to make that piece scalable, right? Like for me, I would always rather the pressure of investment or the pressure of running a business versus being the employee of the business, which yeah. is highly time bound. Yes. And it's minute to minute pressure versus a whole, like a, a aggregate holistic pressure, which I feel is much ma more manageable when you have the right skills, yes. mindset, and ability to cope. Now your book, you know, it's purpose, perseverance, and payoff, and it's until I become. Can we talk about the until I become piece? Sure. What, yeah, was, why did you put that in there? Yeah. This is the book here. This is what it looks like. It's called Until I Become. So yeah. over, over 20 years, I had 
so this is really interesting story about this. So when during COVID, we're in the lockdown, I wasn't traveling. I, uh, I journal every day of my life. I've journaled for probably 25 years of my life. And I've got stacks and stacks of journals I've kept and archived them over the years. And because I realized one of my mentors said years ago, he said, Darren, when you die, your friends and family don't want your furniture. They want your journals. They want your library. And I'm like, wow, good point. They don't want my furniture. And so, um, <laughs> right. So I, I just journal. And, and so I had all these journals. And so Tete and I were doing some estate planning, end of life planning, because we live a high risk lifestyle because we travel a lot. So we're more exposed to elements of high risk. So we want to make sure that we had everything in place. And so I was going through all the assets and looking at all my journals saying, okay, if something should unexpectedly happen to me, just in case, who's going to be the beneficiary of my journals? And then I got thinking, wow. So I started looking through, you know, old journals and in, in, in these, these crates that I have saved in. And I realized, wow, there's so much valuable practical content in this like some of these high level conversations and meetings that these people have been access to that you, you couldn't pay a million dollars to get access to some of these people. They would say no to it because they don't need the money. They value their time, they protect their mm -hmm. time. And I'm thinking, wow, all these things I learned through the peaks and valleys of my life, how I didn't quit, how I persevered and how I came through the adversities. And so I thought, wow. So I said, Tatiana, you know, we should pay it forward and pass it on and serve humanity and create a ripple of impact. And so with the book, Until I Become, we hired a ghostwriting team and over a 10-month process, virtually, we uh, created this book. It's 112 pages. Because it's not very big because I'm not a fluff kind of guy. I'm very practical. Uh, I want someone to read it and be able to action stuff. And they can and see, to me, it's about collecting stories. It's not about making money off the book. I want to collect stories. I'm at a stage in my life and a legacy part of my life now is that when I meet people, they say, I read the book, and this is what's changed in my life personally professionally. That's the juice for me. Is You know, is the juice, you know, is the... Or, Juice worth the squeeze. And so to me, as I looked at when I'm going to write the book, is the juice worth the squeeze? Should I spend the time and the money to write the book, hire a ghostwriting team, and get the squeeze? And the squeeze for me is, and the juice, is, is the stories of people's lives that will change because someone like me that came into the people's lives to give them a strategic roadmap of best practice things that I've learned in my life through a lot of adversities, a lot of failures, a lot of challenges, and a lot of mislabeling. And so it's a very practical book. And so we actually uh, did a focus group and I took people who were very skeptical, very judgmental and people who would never buy the book. That's a great focus group to get, you know, your target audience because most people go to who's their target audience. I went to people who were going to slam and trash and bash me and said, I wouldn't read that crap. If you put it in front of me, you gave it to me. And I had people read it. I had one guy ordered a hundred copies of the book because he had such a pivotal moment from reading the book. He said, finally, someone give me the steak, not the sizzle. I don't want the fluff. And um, because he's just, he just saw personal development and things like this is fluff, just a bunch of fluff, sizzle. And um, he was so moved because it was such a practical book um, that I'd learned. And so I created the book to really serve humanity. That was the intention. And so the funny thing was I, I made lists of all these fields throughout my, throughout my life to go to, because we wanted to make sure everything was accurate, everything was verified. If anybody came back and some of the stories and lessons in the book, people say, yeah, I don't believe that. I want to make sure we could verify it. It's part of people's discovery of due diligence. So I went to all these people throughout my life that I'd met over the years. And when I told them I was writing the book, <laughs> all the people said, Darren, it's about time. We've been telling you this for years. See here, I'm surprised. Right? I'm thinking, I'm going to have this big announcement. I'm going to write a book. And everybody's like, well, Darren, we're not surprised. We've been telling you for years. Finally, you're going to follow through and write the book because you know, I had this learning disability mindset where I'm 
I can't write, you know, and I, I'm learning disability, reading disability, teaching disability. So I had a team and we just video recorded everything on Zoom video conferencing and they transcribed everything and went through edits and revisions, all that stuff. And so the book is a book to really help people until I become, because every person in their life become the mother, become the father, become the role model, become the mentor, become the uncle, become the aunt, become that business person, you know, because to me, I grew up in my life. Am I good enough? Like I even, I even questioned that when I was writing the team, when I came on with the ghostwriting team, am I good enough to be on this thing? Why would someone want to learn my backstory? Can my backstory really contribute to humanity? Can my backstory help somebody from not committing suicide? Can my backstory help somebody from not overdosing on drugs? Can my backstory help somebody from, you know, just giving another day in their business, not quitting, not giving up when, when times are tough? Can my backstory help somebody who's out there in a real estate career, or mortgage mm -hmm. career, you know, cold calling or knocking on doors and building their business to feed their family, right? So to me, it was a big thing because, because I, I've had people in the last couple of months with this book, if you saw some of the private emails and the private social media messages of people who said to me, you've saved my life, you've saved my marriage, you've saved my, my business from going bankrupt, you've saved me from ending it all, just, just pulling the towel and just ending everything like that. That's you know, the juice worth the squeeze. That's what it was for me. It was about clicking the stories of people knowing that on this planet, as my legacy, I've made a difference in people's lives through my adversities, my failures, my challenges, that I had a chance to capture them out of my journals over the years and collect those stories and those practical life lessons to pay it forward and pass it on. And I, I've had people from Harvard who've got you know, top-rated MBA degrees, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars going to Harvard. And I've had people come to me and said, Darren, I learned more in this book than I spent mm -hmm. four years getting a Harvard degree mm -hmm. and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so... That's, that's what it's about, is just paying it forward and pass on and making a difference in humanity. And that's really what it was for me. It was, was really, you know, I wish I had a book like this when I was younger. And I, and I said to Tatiana and our team when we created this book, I want this book to be a book when people read it, they say, my kids need to read this. This mm -hmm. book needs to be in my household library. This book, I, I've had people, I had a gentleman who came to me recently, purchased 500 copies of the book, and he said, the next humanitarian trip you go on, Darren, with your foundation, I want you to take care of the village. And I want you to give everybody 500 copies in that book. If we need more, I'll order more. He says, I want, I want this book to be in prison systems, schools, colleges, universities, um, sports teams all over the world. So it's created a movement now because it's authentic. It's vulnerable. And that's what people, people today are drowning in knowledge, RJ. They're drowning in knowledge. There's so much information on the internet, but they're starving for wisdom. People want to just, there's so much noise, there's so much fluff, there's so much negativity. People just want, and that's why I can relate to people, because I've been upside down. I, I used to have an R9 credit rating in Canada, which is the worst case scenario credit score you can get in Canada as a citizen of Canada. Today, I have phenomenal credit. I'm financially independent today. But I, but I had that. You know what I mean? I, I had where I was three, four, five months behind on paying my bills. And, mm -hmm. and I, you know, collection fees and creditors calling to me. To a point where they even came to my door and knocked on my door to demand money. I've had that stuff. I've been upside down financially. I've had adversities. I've had challenges. But I've also persevered now on the other side with my success stories and my wins to have a, an abundance of success today. And a lifestyle that people only dream about. So I've been through all that stuff. I didn't grow up with a silver spoon or have doors open for me or, you know, I didn't have the degrees or anything behind me. I, I was somebody you never would have bet on statistically.
never would have been on. I was a write-off, and I persevered through a lot of hard work and a lot of effort and, and no guarantees. And so now I've come up on the other side, and now it's my turn to pay it forward and pass on. That's why the book was written, was to be in service to humanity and to make a contribution and create a ripple impact and collect a lot of stories from people from all walks of humanity. That's fantastic. Um, I think we can go on. I probably have asked you another 20 <laughs> questions, um, but we just don't have the time. Um, before we do go, uh, give me two or three habits that I know you're a habits person. Give me sure. two to three habits that you would think are critical for anyone to engage in daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Absolutely. Give you two questions. So two questions is, um, so here's something to consider. So for every question that we don't ask, the answer is always no. So for every question we don't ask, the answer is always no. And our life comes down to two things, requests and promises. So the promises is what do you give word to for yourself? I promise to clean up my room. I promise to take the garbage out. I promise to go get a job. Whatever it is, that's your personal promise. It's your integrity to yourself, to others. So the thing is, whatever you really, really want in your life is going to come from strangers. Strangers, everything you want, everything you need in your life. It's a network of conversations. So here's the two questions. So just for you, so the questions is this. I'll, I'll give them to you just a moment. So here's the thing. What I want people to do is to start making requests. Because when you make a request to a stranger or another human being, they'll do one of three things. They'll either accept the request, they'll decline the request, or they'll counteroffer the request. Accept it, decline it, or counteroffer it. But for every question you don't ask, the answer is always no. And an area to look at your life, again, think what you're thinking about, What's an area of your life that's not working? That's an area that you're not making requests in. So it's around health, finances, business, relationships, whatever it is. Whatever area is not making progress is where you need to make requests. You're doing audit in your life. So when you start making requests, people either accept the client or counter offer. So here's the two questions. Question number one is where are you not requesting in your life? You take a look. Whatever is not working. So if you're in sales and you're a real estate agent or a commercial sales person, you're an entrepreneur or network marketer, whatever it is, if you're not getting referrals or leads or endorsements or recommendations, right, boom, to grow and scale. So where are you not requesting in your life? Just take a look, okay? And you will, as you spend time on this, you will realize there's many different areas of your life, personally, that you're not making requests. And allow people to accept, decline, or counteroffer, but let them choose whether they accept, decline, or counteroffer. Second question is, who do you become as a person or as a human being when you're not making requests? Who do you become as a human being when you're not making requests? And for most people, when you don't make requests, you're coming from lack and scarcity versus abundance and prosperity. You are contracting your life and playing very small in your life when you're not making requests. You'll find that my life, I play really big games in my life and do a lot of big things because I'm always making requests. And the requests, are for me to fulfill my promises. Why? Because most of my goals and dreams don't require my actions. Most of your goals and dreams do not require your actions. So many people, the reason why they're busy being busy is because they're doing all the actions. And then they burn out, they get tired, they get exhausted. And what you'll find is a way to leverage and work smarter, not harder, is to make requests. And from making requests, it fulfills on your promises of what you've committed to, which are your targets. So the reason why I'm able to do things with speed and execution and get phenomenal measurable results in a very short period of time is I'm a, I'm a request-making machine. Now, sometimes I'm making powerful requests, outrageous requests, unreasonable requests. 
So like I'm I'm just heading off in a couple of days to go on the road for 18 days across North America. And when I travel, I will when I check into hotels, I'll make requests for a complimentary upgrade. I'll make requests for business class or first class on the airlines. Now I'm not always gonna get it. They're gonna decline sometimes. But the thing is, when you just consistently do it, you build your belief system, your confidence yourself. Because people love to make a difference. People love to contribute to other people's lives. They're just waiting for an invitation. So many people are waiting for an invitation to be invited for something. Why didn't you ever ask me? I would love to be involved with what you're doing. I'd love to help. I'd love to volunteer. I'd love to contribute. I'd love to make an introduction. But no, people are not asking because they're not making requests. And the reason why they don't fulfill on their goals and dreams because they're not requesting. You start requesting for things that you want in your life, you watch for the next 30, 60, 90 days how your lifestyle will change just by making requests or powerful requests or outrageous requests. Again, number one is, where am I not requesting in my life? Take a look, write it down on paper. Question number two is, who do I become when I'm not making requests? And this is gold. That's mm -hmm. worth the juice of the squeeze. And you'll, you'll see practical, measurable results in your life. I've done this with corporations and corporate training. If I can show you balance sheets and, and, and profit loss statements of, of numbers of people just, just in their organization, when they start to implement that, they're like, oh my gosh, the growth and development of companies is just huge. But even people in their own personal lives with relationships. When someone says, man, I haven't been on a date night in months or years. Great. Who do you trust in your inner circle? Well, I trust my sister. Great. Call your sister up and make a request that she's going to look after your kids mm -hmm. on Friday night because you're going on a three-hour date night with your spouse or partner. Well, I, I can't do that. She's busy. Just make the request. She'll either accept the client or counter offer, but just make the request. Mm -hmm. it, it goes back to your early days of making requests when you were doing you know, the side hustle as a kid. It also is a power in that in terms of making yourself accountable yeah. to what you want, as well as making others accountable. Yeah. Um, and again, it, it really uh, aligns with your your networking style and your ability to see opportunity within your network and leverage people. I think that's really an asset and a strength that you have, and it's your unique superpower. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Before we wrap up, uh, Darren, just want to ask you, where can our audience find out more about you? Sure. They can go to darrenjacklin.com or Google my name, Darren Jacklin. And if they want to order the book, you can go to untilibecome.com. It's also, you can also Google the book. It's on, it's all over the world. It's, it's um, global, but until I become, and um, maybe there's an opportunity for people to uh, come on a humanitarian trip sometime or be involved with what we're doing. And I just love to make a difference and help people out and be in service. And I hope today was a contribution to people's lives. Right. And uh, this is valuable time that we've spent this hour together. People say, wow, it's one of the most impactful hours that I've had in many years of my life. Yeah, no, it was a remarkable conversation. Really, really enjoyed our time together. Darren, thank you so much for coming on the Ultra Habit Show. I'm grateful to be here.